We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome to another Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Suter, and with me is Danny Hewson. Hello, Laura. Hi, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to talk pensions. Um, and I, I guess for a lot of you, including you, Laura, retirement might seem like a very long way off. Trust me, it hurtles towards you at an alarming rate of knots. And you do need to make sure that you have enough in your pot so you can enjoy the same kind of life that you're living whilst you're in work. And it takes time, especially if, like many women, you do take time out of the workplace to have children or maybe work part time for a while because of the incredibly high cost of childcare. And we know that many women on average don't have as much in their pension pot as men and a lack of disposable income is one of the big reasons why, along with many other reasons. But luckily today we have Charlene Young, AJ Bell's pensions and savings expert, who's going to be talking us through how much we should really be saving tips and tricks to make the most out of the system and answering the question of whether those in their 20s really are too young to be starting a pension. I imagine that the answer is you're never too young. That's what I keep saying to my girls and they're only like 15 and 16, but start now. Um, We do know that at the moment, finding any extra cash to put by for the future is getting increasingly difficult. Uh, I was looking on Mumsnet the other day, Laura, because I often just stick in pensions and, and have a look at what comes up. And there was a thread where one mum asked if she should put more money into her pension pot because she worried that she didn't have enough saved. And it was incredible because comment after comment from mums was saying that they weren't saving into a pension. They didn't think they'd ever be able to top up the tiny bit they had from before they had children or they'd got nothing saved at all. And that they felt that the current pressures on their household budgets meant that they wouldn't ever be able to start saving. And pressures on household budgets is something we're all too aware of. So our one big thing this week is going to be taking stock of where we are with inflation, but particularly with food inflation, because we know that that has been a big area of rising costs. And we also know that some women are the ones responsible for doing that food shop or for budgeting for the food shop. And the cost of the weekly shop has gone up by over £800 a year. Yeah, I mean, it's bonkers. Um, And I must admit, I wince every time I get to the checkout because it seems that it just goes up every single week. And we do know that overall inflation has finally started to come down a bit, but food prices have continued to shoot up. And we had an update from the British Retail Consortium just the other day, and it said that food inflation had hit another record high in April, up to 15.7%. And there are so many different numbers flying around. And also those headline numbers only deal with the averages. Everyone's going to have their own unique 
inflation number. And actually, interestingly, the Office for National Statistics, which is the organization that puts together those inflation figures, has just launched a really handy new tool where they're tracking the price rises across the past year of all of the items in their index, but particularly shopping items. So you can go on to their website and you can build your own personal basket to show you what your inflation figure would be, which I think is really useful because they include so many things in those baskets, some of which we'll be buying and some of which we won't be buying. So you can get that kind of personalized inflation figure. But why do we keep hearing that food prices are still going up, Danny? Why are they not coming back down again? Because I think lots of people were thinking that this year would be the year where we saw those costs start to drop. And we have seen commodity prices start to come down. But the biggest issue is that for manufacturers and retailers, there's something of a lag. So, you know, if you think about where those commodity prices start to sort of get higher and filter through to the whole process, it can take about a year or so before it hits the shops. So we do know that at the moment, we've just had a whole load of corporate earnings out. And those big food manufacturers are still saying that they are putting up prices because they're still having to deal with rising costs. So just to give you an example, we had um, an update from Nestle that makes things like Kit Kats. It lifted its prices by 9.8%. That's just in the first three months of this year. Uh, we also had um, Pepsi, which produces, obviously, PepsiCo, um, produces Pepsi, and it had put prices up by 16%. Uh, Procter & Gamble, which makes things like nappies and washing powder and, and sanitary towels and things like that, average prices up 13%. Now, what those big manufacturers are also seeing is that the amount of stuff people are buying is coming down a bit as they're responding to those high prices and maybe shopping around, maybe cutting back on the amount of stuff they spend. Though, of course, some things like sanitary towels, you can't cut back on the amount that you are buying. You just have to maybe trade down. We also had an update from a number of supermarkets and there have been all sorts of comments made by people, by mums that I know who are sort of saying, well, it, it feels like there's a bit of greedflation going on here. Like maybe some of these prices are being passed on and don't need to be. But we did see that both Tesco and Sainsbury's, when they reported their earnings update, their profits had been slashed because they were not um, passing on as much of the price rises that were trying to cushion the blow because obviously they want to keep you shopping there. And if you can't afford it, you're going to trade down and you're going to go and head to those discounters. So, um, you know, it, there is sort of method in the pain that some of these supermarkets are feeling at the moment. And we also had uh, an update from one um, big um, company, Unilever, which makes things like Dove Bars and, and mayonnaise, Hellman's mayonnaise. And the boss there was saying, look, we are passing on quite a lot of these price hikes, but only about three quarters of the price hikes we are passing on. So the good news is most of these manufacturers are saying that we're probably at the end, getting to the end of the price hikes, that either they're pausing hikes, taking stock, or they're not pushing prices up as much. 
But there is a small caveat to that because we've also had some issues with last year's drought in Europe causing absolute havoc with crops like olives, which means that the price of olive oil is going to go up. So I don't think we are quite at the peak when it comes to food inflation, but maybe just maybe we're getting towards the top of the hill. Yeah, and for those people out there um, really struggling with those food rising costs, um, we have had the first cost of living payment for this year go into people's accounts. So this is £301 that will have gone into people's accounts who are on certain benefits. In total, between um, now and next April, those individuals will be getting £900. And then there's additional support for pensioners, for example, um, and for those on certain disability benefits. So we're starting to see those costs filter through into people's bank accounts, those payments, sorry. Um, And then there's lots of other things that you can do. I mean, lots of people will have already traded down. They'll be buying more own brand items. They maybe have switched supermarkets to a cheaper supermarket. But I would say that there's also... Lots of things you can do, even if you want to stay with the same supermarket. For some people, they don't have the option of having multiple ones in their town. Um, So there's always vouchers and coupons out there. Often, if you've never online shopped before with a certain supermarket, you can get really good discount and money off vouchers for doing so. And there's nothing to stop you going around and doing that with each different supermarket, um, trialing out different ones and using those discount codes and vouchers for there. The other thing that I would really recommend is getting any of the loyalty cards that the supermarket has. I don't know if you've been into Tesco recently, but the alarming difference between the price of something if you have a club card versus <laughs> not having a club card is massive. And things like that can actually have a huge impact on your overall bill if you've got um, one of those. And you can save them onto your phone now so you don't need to carry around a card with you if you don't want to have a massive wadge of cards in your wallet. Um And then I think it's a case of seeking out where different supermarkets are doing price matching. So like you said, Danny, lots want to continue getting you through the door. So there's lots of price matching with a lot of the um, discounting supermarkets. And that is really going to help, particularly we've seen a bit of a milk war recently with lots of supermarkets, price matching on milk costs. Um, But actually, that's something that people buy. We've seen a big increase in the cost for it. People buy it very regularly. And so saving money on those things can really have an impact. And then the other thing that I thought was worth offering out is um, food waste apps. So these are apps where different cafes and shops and supermarkets will hand out food at the end of the day, you pay a reduced price for it. um, And you can get lots of food for very cheap. And it will be food that's either going off that day, um, or shortly afterwards, or is a bit past best. But you can get some really good stuff on there. um, And that's a really good way of getting getting food cheaply. And I also know that if you buy frozen foods rather than fresh foods and I'm particularly thinking of things like vegetables where you know you want to put something green on your kids plate or at least hide it in something else so that they'll eat the green stuff if you uh, buy frozen you can often find that it's cheaper and batch cooking as well you know if you can make a whole pot of something and divide it up it also means that potentially when you're cooking it you can cook it in the microwave rather than cooking it in the oven again so all of those little things add up. Um, But despite the inflation weariness and 
I, I don't know about you, but it does feel like this has been going on forever. And I know that it's only been just over a year, but I think it's that sort of drip, 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 which is really getting a lot of people down. But some households do still have got uh, do still have a savings cushion, and they've still got enough disposable income to buy what they want, do what they want. Um, but there is concern that it is the focus on the now is making people think less about the future, especially women, thinking that you know, retirement is a long way off. I'm just going to make sure that everybody in the household is all right right now. But we know that that retirement comes around quicker than most of us would like. And time is really your friend when you're saving into a pension. So I've been chatting to Charlene Young, AJ Bell's pensions and savings expert, about what we should all be thinking about when it comes to our retirement pots, but also critically talking about that dilemma that younger people face today, which is, should I pay into my pension or should I pay for all of these other things that I want to do, like a house deposit or rising cost of living? Um, So it was really interesting to hear her views on that dilemma for younger people too. First up, let's tackle that broad headline question. So should people in their 20s worry about pensions or not, Charlene? So I think first up, I'd say I'd never want people to worry about pensions. Um, I'll hold my hands up and say there's a lot of work we need to do um, to get rid of the scary stuff like jargon, which does make people worry about pensions um, and seems to be part of working in pensions. But I think people in their 20s should at least be thinking about pensions. So... You can get as armed with as much information um, as possible to help you decide whether or not to take any action. So um, I think the first thing I would do, you know, knowledge is power, is try and appreciate that kind of time is on your side. Um, Pensions were definitely the last thing on my mind whilst I was in my early 20s and at university, and I even ended up working in them. Um, But if you're in your 20s now, you've potentially got to the 40 years plus over which you can save into one. So, yeah, I think it's probably quite useful to highlight how money saved in your 20s can grow by that magical impact of compounding. First up, let's just explain what compounding is. Yeah, so as we say, people who invest sooner will see the most benefit from compounding. I like to think of it as a bit of a snowball effect on the money that you save. Um, I've seen it referred to elsewhere as kind of growth on growth too. So to explain it a bit more... um, you save or you invest some cash and that will make you hopefully some money. Um, so you can think of it as interest, as interest if that's easier for you or if you are more into investments, perhaps dividends. So keeping that interest in the pot means you have more than you did before. And then if you keep that money in the pot, that new higher amount then earns interest itself, hopefully more than before because you're on a higher amount. And as you can see, that kind of snowball effect starts to take over. So that's just if you start with one kind of bit of cash save. So imagine how this can like really take off if someone saves a regular amount over time when they can. And so how much does that money, say someone who's 20 years old, puts away some money, how much will that have grown to by the time they retire? Because I always think it's useful to have actual practical figures on this as well as kind of the theory, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So if we're kind of talking about a regular amount, so kind of little and often, Um, I have picked £100 a month here, but you can obviously pick different amounts. Um, So £100 a month saved um, now 
um, if you are in your 20s, say for 40 years, if you carry that on £100 a month, that could give you potentially £148,000 by my calculation. So I've used a 5% growth rate on that one. So that actually highlights how that little and often and starting early can have a massive impact on it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's just money you save yourself. So I'm sure we can't talk about it, but one of the big perks of pensions if you're employed is that you might not be the only person paying money into that. Yeah, let's tackle that now, actually, because I think that is one of the big draws is that um, of pensions where it's different to other savings and investments is that you've got um, essentially other people willing to chip in and give you a little top up to your pot as well, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. So Governments of all types um, want people to save for their own retirement and ensure that they do have what we call a good standard of living when that time comes. And um, so one of the ways that they want to kind of help people to do that is with tax incentives. Um, so I think we'll firstly look at the money you pay in yourself. Um, so for every £80 that you pay in, um, the government will top this up with um, tax relief. So for every £80, they'll top it up by £20. So £80 of your money turns into £100 in that pension pot. But we're talking about other parties as well. So um, for for people who are unemployed, um, most people will be auto-enrolled. Um, and then that comes with your employer making a minimum contribution to a pension for you as well. Um, so those of you who are employed uh, potentially have access to kind of free money that's paid into your pension by your employer. And that will vary depending on what your employer offers you, won't it? So you need to kind of dig into some of the documents to find out what your specific circumstance is. Yeah, absolutely. So there are minimum rates and that's a total of 8% um, of a, a particular band of earnings that goes in each year. So 3% of that 8 um, is to come from your employer as a minimum. But lots of employers yeah. might offer more than this um, just as a standard for for their employees um, and some might also say well you know we'll go above and beyond if you're able to pay in a little bit more we'll also match that so you're in effect potentially doubling what you put in yourself um, you get a top uh, top up from the government in terms of tax relief and then your employer will hopefully match that top up and um, for that total amount as well so definitely worth asking for information on the kind of total um, benefits that they, they offer in terms of your pension scheme. But I think one of the issues for people in their 20s, even if you're, you know, totally sold on a pension and all those top ups and, you know, the benefits of that long term savings, actually, people in their 20s have got loads of different pools on their money, haven't they? They need to decide whether they should save for a pension or instead put that money aside for a house deposit or put some money to one side. So they've got, you know, that emergency fund that we talk about so often in cash. Or also people in their 20s just want to go and have fun and enjoy themselves rather than also worrying about saving all of their money. So I think it's quite a hard dilemma, isn't it, for people today to work out where they should be allocating their money. And Charlene, I'm hoping you've got the perfect answer to this. <laughs> I wish I did. And believe me, we all have those moments when we'd really rather just go and spend everything. Um, we've all been there. And yes, so many competing priorities. Um I do think, you know, one of the big benefits of kind of auto-enrollment, yes, it's an automatic thing that happens, but it does bring pensions to the fore and people are kind of hopefully looking at and understanding what they pay in. But that does add to the information overload. I think the best thing for me, um, I like to think of things in goals and trying to work out what's most important to me. You know, I have plenty of goals, some of them completely unachievable, but the best way to kind of tackle it is to look at your own budget. So your personal sort of cash in and cash out. 
and then try and work out what you can afford um, to pay yourself first, we like to call it. Um, so put into your long-term plan. Um, that can be a little and often game. It doesn't have to be this like magical lump sum that you've got. And I think then, you know, you can work out which of those things that might be in your list or you might have another goal um, completely is most important to you or put them in a priority order. Okay. So by all means, yes, it's really important that people have a, a an emergency pot um, Lots of people say there's rules about how much you should have, but the main thing is that you have a pot of cash for a rainy day. Or like you say, you might wish to start saving for a house deposit. Retirement will feel like a very long way off if you're in your 20s. And like I say, work out what you can afford to pay yourself first, what's most important for you, um, and then then go from there, really. If you're already auto-enrolled to a pension scheme, um, and most employees will be if you're over 22, um, then great and keep at it because you are getting that free money from an employer. But yet, equally, you know, as much as we talk about investing and retirement in, in the industry we work in, you know, we don't want people to overstretch themselves either. And I think also one of the other concerns that people in their 20s probably have is that because it's so long until they'll come to retire and need that money, who knows what could happen to pensions between now and then. I'm, I know that lots of people, you know, worry that the state pension won't be there by the time they retire. But also we've just had a load of new changes from the government on pensions in the latest budget. And I think sometimes younger people have this worry of like, I'll save into this pot, but who knows how governments will change the rules before I can actually access it. So how do people plan for that? Can you really plan around that? Well, yes and no, because, you know, as we know, change is kind of part of life and changes to rules around pension and tax will not escape that fact, sadly. Um, again, pensions are, like you say, the longest term account you're probably going to be saving into potentially for sort of 40, 50 years plus. I think, um, you know, change can be a good thing as well. So you mentioned the changes in the budget um, and they actually do work to remove and add a level of kind of complexity and tax rules on pensions, which... I think put people off the kind of thought of it before it's just helps perpetuate that myth that pensions are scary and so those changes I've, I've welcomed and always would um, they will ultimately mean that fewer people will pay tax or extra tax I should say um, on their pensions which is only a good thing again um, the best thing here is you've got us to look at the tax rules as you find them today um, stay focused on your on your long-term goal yes there might be some tinkering around the scenes um, as you mentioned, um, the age at which you can access your pensions, for instance, might go up over time, um, but it's working with what you've got today. And we talked earlier about the extra appeal of pensions being that your employer will put money in for you. But what about if you're self-employed, you're not going to get that perk from your employer, are you? So is it still worth putting money aside in a pension? Yeah, that's right. So if we're talking about self-employed people here, um, there's been some recent statistics that came out as well that show only one in five self-employed people actually paid into a pension in the last tax year. Um, and that is a real worry in terms of like the standard of living they might be able to get in retirement. Um, so as I mentioned, the, the government will want people to be able to save towards their own retirement, um, you know, because purely they don't want people to have to fall back on that state minimum. So the good news is that it's still absolutely possible to build up a healthy pension pot to go towards your retirement. Um, because of those upfront tax reliefs that you get on the money that you pay in. And I think I haven't actually mentioned it yet, but pensions in general for everybody, once it's in that pension wrapper, your investments can grow completely free of tax as well. Um, so that's another you know, massive perk of pensions, particularly over that long term, and that kind of boosts that compounding effect. 
Um, so if you're self-employed, uh, remember, get for every £80 you pay into your pension, the government will top this up by 20 Um Potentially, as your, uh, your self-employed earnings or your profits grow over time and you move into a higher tax band, you might be able to claim back even more tax than that. Um, but here we're sort of talking more about people starting out perhaps um, in their sort of self-employed careers. Um, as well as a pension product, if you're self-employed, you might also consider a lifetime ISA um, to help boost your pension savings. Now, people might know about the lifetime ISA because primarily it is designed to help people save towards a house deposit, towards their first time um, purchase of a home in the UK. Um, there's a few kind of extra wrinkles around the rules around that, but the total that you can pay in each year is £4,000. And you also get a bonus on that from the government. Um, so the it's the same equivalent to that kind of automatic top up you get on the money you pay into your pension. So if you were able to pay in £4,000 per year, the government would top that up with a bonus and it would go up to £5,000. So um, the good thing about the lifetime ISA, particularly for the self-employed, um, is that you can also use it for retirement from age 60 and that money would be available to you completely free of tax. Um, so a bit like an ISA, if you like, but from age 60. Um, then again, you know, if you do find that you want to use it to buy your first home um, before that within the rules, then you can also access it for that. So there is that sort of slight flexibility with it. Um, it's still got the bonus um, to help you kind of boost your um, retirement savings. And again, like pensions, once the money is in that, it is uh, able to grow free of tax as well. Um, just one thing to point out with the lifetime is that although you have that kind of flexibility to potentially take your money out um, before you reach age 60, um, it will carry a, a very hefty 25% penalty charge that wipes out the bonus and more actually. So again, we're talking about long-term um, kind of savings here um, and investments. So it, that's just one thing to keep in mind of it. So if you do decide to save for a pension, I think one of the biggest questions that people have is how much they should be putting away. So firstly, to make sure that they're saving enough to give them a decent amount of money in retirement, but also to make sure that they're not, you know, scrimping and saving and putting too much away or more than they would actually need. So do you have some sort of golden figure that we should all be following? I wish, I mean, the the minimum um, auto-enrolment contributions are at that 8% figure. So that's on a band of earnings that will cover sort of most people's salaries. Um, but that is the absolute minimum. And um, people, you know, in, in our industry have been calling for those minimums to be increased. And some recent studies have shown to like get really close to a good income and standard of living in retirement. These minimums should be running at around 12% in total now with a goal of really getting people um, to save 15% of their salary. However, at the moment, with the cost of living pressures that we're all facing, that just feels quite unrealistic for most people. And I think for me, the worst thing would be if people, if those minimums did sort of like suddenly step up, if people then just took the decision to stop saving completely because they felt that it was unaffordable. So so if for policymakers, it's a real thing to kind of balance, um, you know, getting people to make more provision for their retirement which is lovely you know if, if that's possible but you know being realistic about it, the pressures that actually people are facing on their finances i think the main message for me is you know um don't overstretch yourself as you mentioned um with pensions you know for all the great tax perks and the money that you pay in and the tax retreatment of the money when it's inside it you know, that comes at a price and you, you cannot dip into that pension pot until you actually reach the retirement age um, so, you know, that 
is one of the great things about pensions that you can put that money and get the top up just bear in mind you can't just ask for the money back if you suddenly need to spend it so again going back to that kind of um that that budget that kind of looking at what's coming in and what might be going out and seeing what you can afford to pay yourself first um and invest for the long term and kind of be on a positive note you know Sometimes it's a good thing that you can't access the money. Um, you know, we're all guilty. I know I am sort of getting like tempted by things. So actually having that part of money that's there for my retirement, I can't budget it. Um, I invest up for the long term. Um, and yeah, it's there to sort of provide for me in later life. And it's probably worth highlighting. I know you did before, but that, that those kind of that 15% figure that you ultimately talked about there, that's the combination of your own contributions and your employer as well. So it's not like you need to be thinking about putting personally putting 15% of your of your salary away for your pension as well yeah absolutely um so that figure might be a little bit more scary for those who are self-employed and yeah I mean it's sort of like still talking about that 15% with your employer's contribution in that as a minimum and I think yeah like you say just at the moment um that's that's quite a scary figure for a lot of people yeah even with your employer contribution in there that still would be a lot from you um so if you're totally sold and you want to go about setting up a pension, what's the best way to do it? How do you go about it? Yeah, so the first thing um, I would probably check if I was employed is that you are, whether or not you are actually enrolled into a pension scheme already. Some people don't realise that they're auto-enrolled. That's kind of the beauty of auto-enrollment and they are actually already starting on their investing journey. So the best place to start um, is to look at the scheme you are in. Um, even if you're not looking at maybe paying any more in just at the moment, um, you just get familiar with the provider, their website or any apps or anything that the calculators that they offer. Um, you know, you might be able to play around and seeing how much you could put in and how much that might be worth um, in retirement. Obviously, with the caveat that this is all kind of assumptions as well, um, but it is good to kind of get get an eye and, and a feel for like how, how your investments might be able to grow. Um, if you can afford to, and it is something that you want to prioritize, um, you can look at making extra payments into the scheme. Um, and again, your workplace pension, if you already have one, is kind of your first port of call to do that. But with the caveat, you know, don't overstretch yourself. You can't ask for that money back if you change your mind um, until you retire. If you're not auto-enrolled, so you might be employed and you're thinking, well, hang on, I'm not auto-enrolled here. Um, it might be because um, you're not quite within the kind of auto-enrollment criteria. So you need to be 22 and have earnings of the minimum amount. So if you have um, sort of two different jobs, even though combined, you might hit that limit if it's not over with one of them. Um, you might want to speak to one of your employers or your employer, because um, you still are very likely to be able to join a pension scheme and find out what they're gonna pay in as well, because it might be that they'll also match what you pay in. So it's all about kind of getting familiar and getting the information. Like I say, knowledge is kind of power with that one. Um, if you're self-employed, and you are thinking of sort of getting started, um, there are plenty of investment providers out there that offer kind of self-managed pensions and lifetime ISAs if we're talking about the self-employed here. Um, the main thing to be aware, you know, think about that is you need to be happy being in control of your accounts and where you invest your cash. Um, so a big shout out here to um, our friends Doddle, uh, AJ Bell. So Doddle is an app that's designed for people who want to start investing. Okay, so it's got a range of different investment accounts and a simplified range of investments. So from funds, shares to themes and different things, depending on what's important to you. So kind of find out about how you might be comfortable managing your own um, investments or setting up a pension, um, you know, if you are self-employed and what you can pay in and then, you know, have a look around the different providers. Think about what features, if any, are, you know, the most important to you. You might not need the full fat kind of 
bells and whistles and having a simplified range of investments makes it probably less daunting um, and, and easier for you to kind of take that really important first step to get started. Amazing. Thank you so much. I know that lots of people will find that so useful for that run through of pensions. So thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Really useful stuff from Charlene there. And something that I've been thinking about a lot, Laura, is about that sort of housing situation and how much more people might need to have in their pension pot if they don't have their own house that they own when they retire, if they're still having to pay housing costs. And what was really interesting is hearing that the number of of rental accommodation, it's going down. So it means sort of younger people are sort of being pushed into buying a house maybe before they thought that they would, which is, is absolutely fascinating that maybe it gets cheaper for them to, if they can go to the bank of mum and dad and get a deposit get on the housing ladder maybe before they even would just because there are no other options yeah i mean the rental market is fierce at the moment we know that so many landlords have sold up as a result of you know various factors covid rising house prices meaning they can get more for their money a crackdown on you know the higher tax rates that they're paying and all of that means that there's much less supply for renters and so yeah it could push some into buying sooner but obviously for lots of people that's just not an option they don't have the deposit together to be able to get on the housing ladder and so it really feels like a tough time for those younger people particularly those who don't have the bank of mum and dad or family help or someone to buy with because we know buying on your own is very very tricky so it can you can easily see how something like a pension which is so many decades away can really fall by the wayside Mm. when you've got so many other pressures on your costs yeah absolutely well as ever we asked Charlene to share her financial confession I absolutely love this bit of the podcast I know you do too and here is what she had to say Charlene, tell us about your financial confession. Um, so even though I spend a lot of my time having conversations about money, I used to have very frank conversations about money with clients. Um, when I go to a restaurant, um, particularly like a big group, and it comes to the end of the meal and you're getting the bill, very keen that, you know, to be fair to everybody, um, you know, people had to for the driving or perhaps people didn't have like a starter. Um, but I find the conversation so awkward that the side of me just jumps in and just to avoid all the awkwardness, I just go, I'll pay it, I'll just pay it all, even if I definitely can't afford it. Just anything to get rid of the awkwardness. And I think it just shows that we all have our little quirks and, and biases when it comes to money. That's great. Also, I'm definitely going out for a meal with loads of people with you. I love that people keep sharing these confessions with us. And we also want to hear from you. So if you want to share your confession, you can do so anonymously if you want to. Um, Then you can just email us at moneymatters at ajbell.co.uk. And if you fancy, you know, doing some kind of voice note and posting it on Instagram for us, then uh, maybe we'll be able to put that out on the podcast as well. But that is it for this week's podcast. Do subscribe so the next episode drops into your inbox as soon as it's out there. Don't forget to tell your friends and family if you think that it might be useful. And if you are a northerner or like to come up to the north, who doesn't? 
then we do have our next in-person event in Leeds on the 24th of May. Charlene is going to be joining us. We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers answering your questions about imposter syndrome, marketing, workplace rights, and so much more. It is completely free. You get a glass of fizz, some nibbles, a chance to chat to all of us at Money Matters. It would be great to see you, but places are limited. So check out our social media for the link to sign up yep you can find us on social media we're on twitter at aj bell money matters and instagram under that same handle too so definitely get in touch and share and we absolutely love to hear from you so drop us a message if you've got subjects you think we should be tackling people we should be talking to let us know until next time though thanks for listening Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.